What is going on, Breakthrough Success listeners? Mark Caberti here. In this episode, we're going to talk about financial beliefs and being able to set financial beliefs that allow us to achieve financial wealth. Because a lot of the times, the reason why people aren't hitting their income goals is because of some of the beliefs that get in the way. So we're going to talk about that and demystify some of the process in this episode today. Our guest who joins us, he is a street-level consumer finance expert with 25 years of experience in consumer banking and lending. He's on a mission to help people with their financial education, help them to understand the process better so they can have more successful financial futures. Our guest who joins us in this episode is none other than Bill Westrom. Bill, welcome to the show. Hello, Mark. Thank you for having me today. Bill, it is such a pleasure to have you on Breakthrough Success. And I love talking about finance and money. That's something I talk more about on the YouTube channel versus Breakthrough Success. But we do talk about it here time and time again on the show because getting your money right is one of the most important life skills that you could develop. It makes all the other life skills so much easier. So I'm wondering if we could kick things off with setting financial goals like how do we set the right types of goals because there's some people who they set really low goals and there's some people who set unreasonably high goals with like no plan to get there so what would you say is a good starting point for people to set financial goals and then build up from there well uh since our financial life is a transition and progression right we start at minimum wage bussing tables we go to school and we just move up so our goals obviously change as our careers and our lives grow so and i think regardless of where you are where you're starting the process you know set easy obtainable goals and if you you know as you progress and check them off the box you just keep moving up the ladder and then of course you know, you, you, I think you constantly have to reevaluate your goals from your 20s, your 30s, your 40s, etc. You know, so again, don't set unrealistic goals, you know, that are, you know, 30 years out, I want to be a multimillionaire and blah, 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 because it's going to be a long road to get there, you know. It's going to feel like you're never going to get there. So I always, you know, recommend just start small and, uh, you know, again, chip them off one by one and just don't make it a heavy burden to carry. And I think people are more on the side of the heavy burden or not having a goal. Like you want to have the small wins because you could always raise your goals once you achieve the small goals. Like in a marathon, if you run the first mile slower than you would have liked, you've got 25 to compensate. But if you run too hard on the first mile, those next 25 are going to be painful. So it's important to not give yourself such a heavy load and set that smaller goal that it's like a stepping stone. You achieve it, you build up, and then you get to a net worth that you would really love to have at some point in the future. Now, some people, they feel like they're stuck with their money. Maybe they've been at the same job for years, not feeling like they're accelerating. And being at the same job for years is fine if that's what you want to do. But I'm talking about someone who maybe they want to get out, but they feel like they're stuck. How can we look into our mindsets to figure out how we solve this problem all right now now you're breaking into my bailiwick and i'm going to go 180 degrees in the opposite direction with than what any other guest might do on this show and it's also going to relate back to goals because when you've got financial goals you need to look at your financial resources 
right? Your financial resources, it's like the plasma to your life. Your income is the plasma to your life. And that's what you have to work with. So again, when you're setting big goals on a low income, uh, you know, that's going to be a struggle. So set your goals based on your resource level. But here's the biggest thing. Look at what's happening to your resources. Go, go dig a little, you know, much deeper, a few more layers, because we always look from the top down. What's the rate? What's the payment? What's my 401k contribution, et cetera, right? That's kind of a top down view. My view is from the bottom up and the bottom, the foundation of all our lives is that, that monthly paycheck, right? Gross income, you know, we're figuring 401ks. Gross income is only used for tax purposes, 401ks and underwriting for, for loans. Other than that, gross income is a worthless number to everybody. So our, our number one resource is our operating income, which is our paycheck. And when I say operating income, you know, you hear more of that in the business environment, but we are all a little business. We're all individual businesses and whatever job we do, that's the, our, that's the service our business provides. So you'll hear me talk a lot about looking at your own personal um, finances like a business. But when we look at the income, we, we have to look at, all right, where is it going? What's it doing when we receive it? And what's it doing when we're not using it? And is it providing us a benefit or somebody else? As in, 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 in including that is we have debt. And debt is, your, everybody in this country is going to have debt if they're gonna have an education, own a car or a home, bottom line. Because nobody's earning enough money can live and save enough to cash out any of those things. So debt is a, a necessary evil and it's gonna be part of our business. So. Again, when, when we look at, you know, like you were just saying, you know, what can somebody do if they're stuck at a job, they've got a finite amount of resources, how can they build with that? Look in the opposite direction and say, where's my money going and what is it doing for me, right? And that brings up my, my program, Credit Line Banking, to where what I teach is basically you can invest your paycheck every month without losing control, without losing the ability to pay bills. And the way we do this, of course, we need to believe in a penny saved as a penny earned. Do you believe that? Yep. Right? So when we, now my specialty is on the debt side. Okay, so if we have a debt, credit card, doesn't matter what the debt is, and there's interest, and an interest rate, we're losing 4%, 5%, 6% on our income when we're paying it on, when we're paying the interest on a debt, but if we could take our income and offset that debt balance, say $5,000, if you have a $5,000 paycheck and you put it against a debt, that means you're not paying interest on $5,000 because you just manipulated the balance, right? To read $5,000 less than it was the day before you got paid. You follow the logic? Yeah. So if that, if that debt's at 5%, then you're, save, you're saving interest at 5% on that five grand until you go get it. So it's like investing your paycheck on the asset side at 5%, but you're just doing it on the debt side of the ledger because the that's the only place you can put it and do this and still be able to buy gas, groceries, and pay your bills. So again, when you talk about how can I get somebody to get more out of what they've got you know, in that job, out of that one paycheck. It doesn't matter how long you've been there, where you're working. What can you do? Look at the way you bank and borrow or the way we bank and borrow. Because 
the way we bank and borrow is killing us as a consumer financially. If you go deep enough and look at, we deposit over $17 trillion a year into the banking system. Did you know that? I did not know that. Yeah. What's our return on a checking account? Zero. I, I, I know it's not a good number. Yeah, it's, it's virtually zero because yeah. it's insignificant, right? But the bank's earning 4 to 5% on our money, and we don't get any of those spoils, right? Why in God's green earth would we hand our money to anybody and not get any return? We don't do that on 401k, right? I don't think you have any, anybody's had any 0% investments that they dump their money into, you know? And if you look at, you know, I don't know if you knew this, but a checking account is listed as a liability on the bank's books. Did you know that? I did not know that. Okay, what is a liability? A liability is a debt. What's a debt? A debt is a loan. So if they're carrying a, a liability, a loan on their books, we're giving, and it's our money, we're giving them a, an interest-free loan every time we deposit our check, right? And keep in mind, I'm not vilifying the bank. This is their business model. They've been doing it for decades. It's like, I'm the only, I'm the first guy that's come up and said, hey, wait a minute. No, 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 this is wrong, <laughs> you know? Um, so again, is that wise? No, it's not wise because we wouldn't do it consciously, right? So again, I'm just trying to make the point per your question. If you want to find where you can do better, again, it's either, if you want to do better financially, I mean, the bottom line is for everybody is earn more and spend less, mm, right? That's the simplest way to say it. Simplest way to say it. But everybody can't just go earn more money. Right. Nobody can, you know, it's either nobody wants to get a second or third job and blah, blah, blah. Right. And, no, and nobody likes to live a life of sacrifice. Right. That's why like the Dave Ramsey models. Right. I love Dave. Dave, everything he teaches is great. It works. But you've got to eat rice and beans. You got to, you got to sell a car and ride a bike. You got to live out. Of, it's a sacrificial program. Who wants to work 40, 50, 60 hours a week and then tell themselves I can't have it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So again, we shouldn't have to live a life of sacrifice. We shouldn't have to work two jobs. So what do we do? Let's find the source. Let's look at our most important resource, our income, and saying, okay, what is this thing doing for me? I work my butt off for it, and I'm not going to let it sit idle, and I'm not going to let somebody else benefit without me benefiting. So again, back to your thing, your question, look a little deeper and find ways to get more out of what you do have. And it's not about chasing an interest rate. It's not about, you know, getting a 15 year loan instead of a 30 year loan. Right. Which since I brought it up, here's an interesting thing, right? If you walked into a bank and said, I got a 30 year mortgage. I want to pay it off in 15. What should we do? What are they going to tell you? Get the 15 year get the 15 year mortgage. What's the difference between a 15 year and a 30 year mortgage? The interest rates. No, no, that's only one that the interest rate does not is not the part of the acceleration process. A lower interest rate does not improve acceleration. So the difference between a 15 and a 30 is you're just adding more to the principal, right? Because if you had a 30 year at three and a half percent and you had a 15 year at three and a half percent, the interest calculation on the first month is going to be identical on both loans. 
on loan number on month number two, it's going to change because on the 15 year, you threw more principal at the balance. So the balance is going to be lower on the 15 than the 30, which means the interest is going to be lower on the 15 than it is on the 30, even at the same rate. Make sense? Yeah. So if somebody comes to me and say, hey, Bill, I want to, I, I got a 30 year, I want to pay it off in 15 years. What else should I do? I'd say make a 15 year payment. You'll pay it off in 15 years. You can make a 15 year payment on a 30 year loan and away you go, right? Now the beauty of that is that, that I preach is that the beauty of, of paying a 30 year off with a 15 year payment is if there's an interruption in income, if there's a circumstance that dictates that you need part of that 15 year payment to feed yourself, keep the lights on or whatever, then you can make the 30 year payment, keep your house, keep your credit up to snuff, right? And you, you lost a month, big deal. You know what I mean? So those are little ways to think about things is, look, we don't have to do what they tell us and what they've told us to believe to get what we want. We have to change the model by which we operate to get what we want. Because if you work under the traditional model, you're never gonna get 100% benefit out of the money you earn. Because if you put it in a checking account, you get nothing. We know that for sure. You know, and you can play all sorts of little games from the traditional side, but if any of your income is residing in a checking account, you're losing money because of the model. Not because of you, not because of the bank, just because of the model by which we've been taught to bank and borrow. So it's changing the model and this, you know, and I'm sure you can agree too. changing the model, it, it applies to everything in life, right? If you want to, if your business is doing, isn't as doing as well as it should, look at the, your business model. Maybe it's your business model. Might have a great product, might have great people, great process. But if, if you've got a bad business model, you're not going to succeed to your level until you change that model. So the same rules apply to banking. Change the model, change the result. And I really love this insight. I agree that money in the bank is just sitting there to die, especially if you factor in the inflation. Uh, so you, I think a lot of it is based on how you use your money, because if you make more money, but then your spending is in direct proportion to how much you make, you're never going to get yourself out of the hole. You have to think about how you're using your money. And I think a lot of the money that people have in their banks, this should be going into investments. It should be being used to pay off debt instead of just sitting there. Now, there is some people who will say, well, I want an emergency fund. I want that like layer of security, pay off expenses, not have to be forced to sell an investment at the wrong time. How do we approach that standpoint? Figuring out how much to put into our, something like an emergency fund and how much to pay off debt and put into investments. Boy, that's, I don't think there's a definitive right answer anywhere in that question. Because everybody's, everybody by themselves is unique. You know, your budget's nowhere near mine, right? And your listeners, take every one of your listeners, and nobody's budget is unique. Nobody's circumstance is exactly the same. So what's good for John may not be good for Sam, you know, et cetera. So, uh, you know, the, the rule of thumb is always, you know, a good six-month cushion, you know? You know what I'm telling people right now, my customers or my students? have 10 to 15 grand, you know, depending on your budget, get a safe and have cash at home. 
Don't rely because we, everything we do, we rely on the system, the grid, somebody else to make sure it's taken care of. We're in a, our, our world's in a state of flux, right? And if the cell grid goes down, somebody messes with our electrical grid and our whole life is attached to the grid. If it goes down, there's no ATMs, there's no debit cards, there's no credit, there's nothing. So again, I'm not a doomsdayer. I don't have a bunker full of food, you know, but I am a realist and we're talking about money and we're talking about the plasma to our lives. If we don't have money, we're not eating, we're not drinking, we got nothing. So I always recommend people have some cash at home because of that situation. When it comes to paying off debt, uh, again, I'm gonna be a little biased because anything within the traditional realm, it's not that it doesn't work, but I can look at it and say, it's not efficient enough. You might as well take 50% of your air out of your tires and drive around on 50% of the air. Your gas mileage is gonna go down the tubes. You're gonna to get to your destination, but it's gonna cost you an arm and a leg after time. So under the traditional umbrella, the best advice I can give you is do what you can to, to throw more money at the debt to get rid of it. Well, I'll tell you what, here's, a, here's one tip that your listeners can do, and it goes back to the interest earned interest saved. If you've got credit card debt, right, and you've got a paycheck, there's no reason you can't send, again, you, you gotta work it out a little bit, but if you look at how much money you spend with a debit card on a monthly basis, total that up, add $100 to it, and throw that amount of money at your credit card. And let's say it's $700. Well, guess what? You just threw $700 at that credit card, dropped the balance, so now you're saving interest on that 700, right? And that could be 10, 12, 15%. That's, yeah. a, that's a good return. And then just use that card for spending, right? And of course, fiscal responsibility, tracking a budget. I'm a, a budgetary guy. You know, most of our budgets are very habitual in nature, right? I've looked at data, you know, people spending from five years ago to today, and it's amazing how consistent it is. Because I know when you go to the grocery store, 80% of the stuff in your basket is there every time you go, right? Staples, the usual thing. So our budgets are very habitual. So when you use that card for spending, it's like a debit card. It's just a piece of plastic with a number on it. Slide it just like a debit card, right? And if you, if your spending is 600 and you gave it 700, well, guess what? You just paid off an extra $100 of that credit card and you didn't even have to think about it. Because you just, you took that $700 in income and you leveraged it against that debt to save yourself interest. Then you just went back and spent what you need and whatever's the difference between what you sent and what you spent is what you're paying back. Now that's something any of your listeners can do today. And it's in the benefit is immediate because as soon again, you got to look at that thing as a debt. As soon as that balance drops, the moment it does, you're saving interest. You don't have to wait, nothing. It's a beautiful thing, Mark. And the, and the greatest thing is the money does all the work. You know, it's just like if you put $10,000 in an investment, you just let it rip. What did you do? You didn't do anything. You let the money compound and grow and, and, and work for you. Same rules apply on the debt side of the ledger. There's a balance and an interest rate. And the math is all the same. 
And I love how, Bill, you mentioned the credit card debt because that's one of the biggest debts that people have from a percentage standpoint. Like if you've got a 2% debt on something and you got credit card debt, pay the credit card debt because that's the bigger percent. That's where you're paying more money. And if you do prepay in advance, like Bill's mentioning, where you put down like 700 in Bill's example, then that's money that like it's protecting you from having to pay interest. And that is a very useful setup to have. Uh, because you know we use our credit cards often to grocery store online etc you mentioned investments recently where you know you put ten thousand in you let it rip and um, I am in the investing sphere I, I really love to like investing I feel like everybody should be doing it but there are a lot of people who are fearful of like you know like it, it seems like every single year uh, and you know, there's like a lot of valuations, whatnot, stuff like that. But every single year, it seems like there's going to be a market crash. Like there's going to be the market crash of this year. The next year, there's going to be a market crash and the following year, there's going to be a market crash. Like it just seems like, as you know, that's a trendy thing. Like if you see market crash, you're going to increase your click through rate. Uh, but in any event, how can we, like, what's your advice for people to invest, uh, and not run away from fear, but be into it? <sighs> Boy, now you're, you're getting into a real philosophical subject matter, <laughs> right? It all depends on, you know, you know, going out and asking advice of advisors, it depends on what that guy's motive is, right? Edward Jones, mutual funds and 401k, or a guy selling life insurance, they're going to give you two totally different philosophies, right? So when it comes to the Wall Street investing and gold and all that, I got to tell you, I'll just be 100% honest. I'm not a good guy to ask, right? Because again, I don't trust any of those guys. They're all making money. If, if anybody's losing money, they're still making money. And the reason I don't like a lot of that, the Wall Street stuff is all speculative. There's no floor and there's no net, right? And I've been dealing with homeowners for 30 years and I can guarantee you, when they're retired and sitting on the porch, they're not talking about the interest that they won or lost back in 2020. You know what they care about? Do we have enough to live our life, right? And if, for me personally, when I get to that point, if I didn't earn a dime of interest after 25 years of investing, but I got everything I put into it, and I know I can still live, I'll take what, I'll take what I put in. You know what I mean? Because that's what's really the what hit the rubber that you know, when the rubber hits the road, retirement. Do I have what I need, or am I eating cat food? So, to be more definitive on your question, I think it's vitally important to divide, diversify a portfolio to where some is there's a floor and a net, and whether you agree with you know, whole life insurance or annuities, it really doesn't matter if you agree with them or not. It's what is it providing you? Not the potential. Oh, the market's been up on average 17%. You can count on it. All right. Well, that's all well and good. But what about the years it's down 25 or 30 and I lost 500,000? Now it's got to go up 50% for me to get back to the 17. <laughs> you know, that's a scary proposition to a lot of people. And I don't know if you're old enough to remember Enron, you know. I've heard a lot about it. Yeah. Oh, people's lives were destroyed because of, you know, corrupt, because of greed. Most people didn't do anything wrong. They weren't for, a, you know, it was a good, it was a decent business model. There's nothing wrong with the business model. 
was run by a bunch of corrupt, greedy bastards that stole money from everybody. So again, if you're going to put all your eggs in that Wall Street basket, if you will, then you better be prepared for the free fall and the end result. So that's why I say diversify. Have something where there's a floor and a net because that's what's most important. And then, you know, I think that the stock market should be more risk capital than stable capital. So I know that's probably not the answer you want. It's probably something more definitive, <laughs> but, you know, I don't think there is anything definitive out there. Just like on the debt market, there's no perfect debt or perfect way to structure debt for everybody because every consumer, every individual is unique upon themselves. 100%. Bill really strikes a great point with the unique factor because some people, they will want to put their money into stocks. They'll want to do dividend stocks. Some stocks are safer than others, but you know, there's, you have less control in the stock market. There is no floor. Like it could keep going down. Like there's risks that I feel like sometimes people don't pay attention to, especially index fund investors where you just think that it's guaranteed percent money that you're going to make eight to 10%, depending on which uh, resource you hear from every year. So like when you invest money, you should know the downsides. You should know what's the worst case scenario. But ultimately what Bill mentioned, when people retire, do we have the money to live our lifestyle? Do we have enough? That's the stuff you have to think about as you go through your financial journey. And as you do what we talked about earlier, which uh, more or less is make more, spend less and that's the beginning of a pathway to financial success. Bill, I know you help people who are on their financial journey. So I'm going to give you some time right now to just share some places we could follow your work and journey. Okay. Um, hey, I want to add something real quick based on what I just heard from you. And it doesn't matter what the investment is, whether it's real estate, stock market, et cetera. If through analysis, you or anybody says, yeah, but... <laughs> stop. Yep. There's more research to be done. Right. You know, like when people want to buy investment real estate, you know, I'm like, you know, mortgage payment, this and that. They're like, yeah, but I'll have somebody else paying for it. Oh, really? Until they don't. <laughs> and then now you're responsible for paying that. And I've seen it destroy lives because it was that, you know, pixie dust and unicorns. Yeah, but it's going to be great. So if you hear, yeah, but stop, you need more research, follow your gut. Uh, now, as far as people are learning more about what I do, I'm proud to in, uh, announce that uh, we are rebranding truthandequity.com, which I've been for 15 years. And we've recently launched a new site called Credit Line Banking. So we're rebranding and, and refacing truth and equity. Uh, better information at, at creditlinebanking.com. And if you go and, and uh, ask for the primer, it's a new document that I wrote. It's only a couple months old, and it's probably the best document you'll ever read if you really want to understand, first of all, my program and what I was talking about as far as, uh, you know, earlier on in the, in, the, in the show. But also, I've also provided the math. If you want to do the math on any debt you have, ever will have, I've broken it all down so everybody can look at their debt and understand 
how and why it works the way it does. How to calculate interest, why the interest is the way it is. And then I've got examples of what I was describing earlier on offsetting with income and, and how all that works out. So creditlinebanking.com is the best place you can go. Make sure you guys check out creditlinebanking.com. We'll have links in the show notes. Bill, thank you so much for joining us on Breakthrough Success. It was a pleasure to have you here today. Thank you, Mark. Appreciate it. Hope everybody learned something.